earlier when we were having our little meeting going over the service, I kind of made a joke that I was preaching so it was going to be a normal, boring sermon. Because when David, or really, I mean, we all have our different styles, which is why we have a rotation. But I'm going to use David as an example. When David preaches, you're guaranteed a TV episode or series or like a sporting joke, which is ironic because he's not really into sports. Just the Chiefs Just, the Oh, are you into the Chiefs? Did Taylor do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Taylor's okay. boyfriend's team. I thought so. I thought so. Um, but anyways, for me... I just, I tend to just go right into the text. <laughs> so it's exciting in its own way. Um, but this morning's text is from uh, 1 Samuel. And actually, I'm going to reference the lectionary. It was the lectionary reading two weeks ago when we were the service. So just pretend like this is two weeks ago. Um, but we're in 1 Samuel, and there's this part in that reading, in chapter 3, where it says... Samuel did not yet know God. And just to give you a little bit of context for that reading, uh, Samuel slept in the inner shrine of the tabernacle known as the holy place. And it was literally his job to do this because he was responsible for making sure that the lights on the menorah never went out. And so Samuel lived and slept in the temple. The text says he was ministering to God under Eli, but, quote, Samuel did not yet know God. So when God calls out to him in the reading two times, Samuel, as a young person, does not realize it's God. And instead, each time he goes to his mentor, Eli. But then God calls a third time, and this time when Samuel goes to Eli, Eli realizes, ah, it's God. God is calling to Samuel. And so Eli tells Samuel what to do next so that Samuel himself knows how to hear from God and have clarity about how God is speaking to him. In other words, Eli tells Samuel how to experience divine connection, not through him as the spiritual leader, but directly. Now, I don't know how much you've been reading the Old Testament lately, um, so I wanted to give you that background. <laughs> but for me, it's always been my favorite part of the Bible. As a kid, I loved all the crazy weird stories in the Old Testament and would read them over and over again in my Precious Moments storybook Bible. Um, then when I got into seminary, the Old Testament courses were my favorite to take. Um, and if there's several in here, went to the same seminary, they were also the most challenging. Um, and then even when we started this church 11 years ago, whenever I would preach, I would try my hardest to pick an Old Testament text because I really wanted us to know that these ancient texts can show us truths about God and about us even today. So I know a thing or two about the Old Testament by now, and I also know there's a lot of violence in there, there's a lot of scandal in there, there's a lot of chaos in there, and there's just a lot in there that makes it difficult to reconcile with a modern lens and a modern faith lens. 
primarily, and some of you may relate, so many of the heroes we were told were heroes growing up that we were told to admire from the Bible are not the greatest. And that's an understatement. Over the years, of course, at least personally, my knowledge of the untold heroes of the Old Testament have grown. If you study closely, you'll find plenty examples of marginalized people, plenty examples of women um, to admire. But even so, I still made it my mission uh, in seminary to find those men of the Bible who were consistently unproblematic. <laughs> Are there any who were just unproblematic? And I'm happy to report that I found several. And Samuel is one of them. He was a judge, a prophet, a priest, a great man of faith, born as a result of his mother Hannah's prayers. And Samuel truly does grow up to be a decent human. And isn't that, shouldn't that be the goal? <laughs> and so while I often joke that the Old Testament is an example of what not to do, um, especially when it comes to families and parenting, <laughs> When I look at Samuel's story, I actually see a few lessons we can take with us. And so in today's reading, for example, um, it tells us that God was with Samuel as he grew up. And I find it interesting that what precedes this declaration is an example of healthy spiritual support. Eli ensures Samuel grows up to become someone who knows how to connect with God directly someone who has consistent access himself to the truth that God is with him and sees him and knows him. And here's the nugget of relevance for us in this ancient text today, because the same is true for us. God is with us, God sees us, and God knows us. In fact, in every lectionary text uh, today, there's the theme of being known and seen by God. I printed a little in the guide for you to get a snapshot. In Psalm 139, we're told that we're uh, known, held, and wonderfully made. In the Gospel of John, Nathaniel wonders, where did you get to know me? And Jesus says, I saw you. And in 1 Corinthians, we're reminded our body is a temple of God. God in us, within us, around us, knowing us, and seeing us, and therefore sustaining us. And I think that we need this kind of spiritual support because the emotional and mental and physical realities of life can be hard, brutal even. And parenting can be hard, brutal even. And like any difficult life assignment, what so often gets us through the gritty parts is belonging, right? Being deeply known and deeply seen is fuel to us. It's what we need, and it's why healthy community is so important. Community is our training ground for being known and seen, and for extending knowing and extending seeing to others. There's this sacred reciprocity that goes on in healthy community, and we need it to be well. And so, when some of us find ourselves raising up kids to be people of faith, to be decent humans, or as George Brown often says, to be non-assholes, <laughs> we soon realize we need support. 
We need help. We need community because it's too hard and too much to try and do it alone. Now, church is not the only form of community. I hope and pray that each one of us exists in an entire ecosystem of communities and relationships. But we're here. (laughs) And here is one space where we're trying to offer healthy community as it relates to the spiritual path, healthy community as it relates to following the way of Christ. This matters because what we believe is intricately tied up with what we do, with what we live. Belief means nothing without praxis, without practice holding it up. This is so relevant on a day like today, our baby dedication, when we offer an embodied blessing, a lived promise to the very youngest in our community and to the families and parents who are raising them. We're also in our annual epiphany series where peace preachers offer personal epiphanies that they've had over the last year. It's one of my favorite that we do every year. Um, And so one of the personal epiphanies I've had, particularly as a parent, is this. It's pretty obvious, but I'm gonna say it anyway. It's not so much what I say that matters. What I do, what I live, What I embody, that's what sticks. So if I want my kid to eat healthy foods, I can talk about it or I can do it myself, but the doing is what sticks every time. If I want my kid to spend more time in nature, it matters that I go outside and spend time in nature. If I want her to care about someone or something, it matters that I care through my actions. I've lived my life saying, I believe this and I believe that. I mean, I'm a preacher, so it's literally my job to talk about what I believe. Um, But parenting for me has been a reckoning in which a mirror is constantly held up daily through my kid's life. And so daily I'm challenged with this question, do you really believe what you say you believe? Because her actions, what she cares about, What matters to her is so often a reflection of my actions, what I care about, and what matters to me. And I think this is true for all of us in here, particularly when it comes to the stuff of faith. What sticks is what we do. What sticks is what we live. At peace, hallelujah, we have normalized saying aloud what is true, but what's not often acknowledged in faith communities, which is that we don't always know what we believe. There's not always permission to say that in church spaces, but it's true, right? We don't always know what we believe when it comes to matters of faith, theology, religion, spirituality. We don't always really know deep inside exactly what we believe. And so sometimes we get overwhelmed or we freeze or we give up on even trying to figure it out figure it out. And and then so often what happens is, even if we have garnered the courage to follow our curiosity and authenticity, faith communities have not always granted us true space to do that, and we've been harmed or isolated or rejected. Here, in this hopefully healthy place, I'm wondering, what if we spent less time worrying or agonizing about what we don't believe? And we just honed in on what we know for sure. 
So for example, if you don't know what you believe, but you know for sure you believe in helping your neighbor, then make it your spiritual practice to help your neighbor. If you don't know what you believe, but you know for sure you believe in generosity, regularly ask yourself, how can I be generous today, this week, in this season? If you don't know what you believe, but you know for sure you believe in love, then live a consistently loving life. Because what sticks is what we do. And what we live is what sticks, and what sticks is what we embody, so live love. Embody love and allow your community, communities, to help you stay on the path of love. Because even if all you know for sure you believe in is love, I believe even the Bible says it, you are not lacking. When I was in graduate school working on my seminary and social work degrees, I interned for a time at Meals and Wheels. One weekend, we participated in a dental drive where we helped provide free dental care to the vulnerable elderly population in the Waco area. I was moving around a lot for my, my job was to kind of like check people in, help them get settled, check them out, help them find the way out, just kind of in between stuff. But I was hustling a lot back and forth between everyone, showing them where to go. When this sweet old lady stopped me in my tracks and she took me by the hands and she looked at me intently and she said, I see Jesus in your eyes. <laughs> I kind of said that creepy, but she said, I see Jesus in your eyes. And I never forgot that because it encouraged me in a season where I was deep in faith crisis. I was, you know, in a season where I didn't have faith myself. And the sweet old lady encouraged me when I felt so unsure and so uncertain and so spiritually parched and had a lot of shame and hopelessness because of that. But someone else in that time saw love and saw God and saw Jesus and what I was doing. And so that person who I didn't even know had faith for me when I didn't have faith myself. And that moment of living love held me in ways she'll probably never know. And I think that this is the heart of what sticks with me about consistent sacred community. I don't have to understand what I believe all the time or have perfect faith all the time when there are people around me that will carry me when I don't have faith myself. So here's what it means that we want to take this time and space to bless our babies this morning. Through this dedication, we're saying to each of them, May what you do stick, and may what you live be love. And we are making a promise to ourselves, too. We're promising to surround and support these little ones with living love. As a community, we're promising to be teachers, listeners, empowerers. We're promising to show encouragement and kindness and smiles. When maybe the rest of the world might not always, we are saying, you can count on us here. We dedicate this space to the nurturing of you in the way of living love. Now for me, living love sounds a lot like what our tradition is rooted in, which is the way of Christ. Christ is our model, our embodiment of living love. The same Christ who said, let the little children come to me, and then to the rest of us said, be like these little children, 
who follow out of instinct, who gravitate toward living love. So today is a reminder of our primary function as a community to walk alongside each other in our doing and our becoming and our belonging in the sacred work of knowing and seeing God in us, in each other, and in the world. And so Rio, who's not here but hopefully watching online, and Hildy, and Lucy, and Gideon, and Denton, and Harris. Let me paraphrase Psalm 139. You are held, you are known, you are seen. You are loved by God, you are wonderful to God. How will you know deep in your bones that this is true? To the point where it sustains you amid the ups and downs of life, little ones? Because we will hold you, we will know you, and we will see you. We will lift you up as the wonders that you are. In other words, you will know by our living love. This is our collective promise to you and to every person here. This is our promise because this is our work. Like Nathaniel in our gospel reading, this work of knowing and seeing is ultimately what moves us into belief. And belief shapes what we do, and what we do is what sticks. May it be living love. May it be so.